0: Well, one of the top movies right now, and I think it has grossed over $250 million, has an intriguing story, or title rather. The story was taken from the New York Times best selling novel of the same title. Within 18 months, the book sold uh, over 1 million copies and was the number one selling middle grade novel. A simple title, Wonder, Wonder. Wonder is a cool word. To to wonder is to be filled with admiration, amazement, uh, or awe. To wonder is to marvel. Comic books use words like this. A Wonder Woman or Marvel Comics. Well, what creates wonder in you? Uh, Someday, I want to stargaze on a cool, clear night from a remote location with very little light pollution and I want the beauty and immensity of the nighttime sky to make me feel small, um, to, to overpower me with wonder. Screens are underwhelming. They're underwhelming. Yet creation tells of the eternal power and divine nature of God. But creation cannot give us wonder uh, like scripture can. The two work together for sure, but God's word is the greater of the two because in Scripture, God reveals himself in a special way. He reveals to us the glory of his son in the redemption story. Scripture explicitly tells of the glories of God in Christ, which creation accentuates. I want to be wonderstruck by God. But the ordinary pleasures of this world distract me from marveling at the extraordinary God. Why am I so underwhelmed by God? Now, you may feel the same way, but take heart. Being underwhelmed by God can be overcome when God shines his grace and truth in our hearts. Uh, Living the Christian life is done with the eyes of faith, firmly fixed on the one true, beautiful God revealed in Scripture. As I tell you about God this morning, I want the Holy Spirit to put wonder uh, deep within your heart, wonder which stirs you to deeper gratitude for Christ and deeper devotion to Christ. Now, my kids and I, we love to crank the music and have dance parties at, at our house and and Owl City happens to be one of our one of our favorites. And one of Owl City's songs is titled Thunderstruck. Uh, not to be confused with ACDC, uh, but anyway, for you music people who get that. But uh, anyway, Owl City titled uh, Thunderstruck. And it's a song about falling in love. But these few lyrics, they capture an idea that I'm after this morning. So as the song goes and the lyrics explode, it's let's see if I can get this right. I've never felt so wide awake cause I'm wonderstruck. I love how you take my breath away I'm thunderstruck okay, so that that's the little the little line, and there it is that that's capturing where I'm going here. Oh, that our hearts would be wide awake, lucid uh, aware, and seeing God in scripture with clarity that we would be so stunned by God that that our breath is taken away, so overcome by his glory that all we can do is worship and serve him with joy. Being wonderstruck by God elicits a response, gratitude-filled obedience. You, You just won't serve God with much enthusiasm until you're wonderstruck by him. The reason the gospel is such great news is because we are reconciled with an amazing God by an amazing Christ who escorts us into the presence of God to find unlimited gladness and wonder. What has Paul taught us about God so far in first Timothy? He's taught us that God is savior. God is father. God is blessed. God is the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, and that God deserves honor and glory forever and ever. Paul has taught us that God wants people to be saved and to know the truth that there is one God and he is living and he is creator and he gives life to all things. Are you wonderstruck by that God? False teachers were spreading false doctrine in the Ephesian church, luring people away from this God But Paul gave Timothy a glimpse of the greatness of God upon which every argument of his letter is built. Paul wanted to remind Timothy of the magnificent God who would display the Lord Jesus Christ at just the right time. I think to give urgency, to give confidence, to give strength to Timothy's gospel ministry. Uh, In light of the pledged return of Christ and God's glory, Timothy could carry out his pastoral ministry with great confidence. This was helpful for Timothy to hear. And in a similar way, you will find strength to flee, pursue, fight, grasp, and keep as you trust Christ on your journey to this amazing God. If you find your view of God too small and your heart unmoved by him, then you must quickly look to Christ by faith and look deeply into God's word until God graciously enlarges your view of him and moves you to great wonder. That is my aim this morning. We begin with verses 14 and 15 to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. Jesus Christ will appear again in a perfectly timed glorious display of the Father. He refers to God who will display the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. God will send Jesus Christ back to earth to appear in glorious display as victorious Lord. The Father will show off the Son in due time and, and the show will be superb. It would be glorious, it would be fantastic to see. In Acts 1, the disciples watch Jesus ascend into heaven, and he is promised to return in glory. And at that point, dear saints, dear beloved people of God, Christ will take you to God. When will it happen? We don't know. Matthew 24, or in Matthew 24:36, Jesus himself said this. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father only. Today, 10 years, 10,000 years, perhaps. Here's what we do know. Jesus Christ will appear in perfectly time glorious display of the father. Are you ready to meet him? Are you ready to meet him? A little tip for your doctrinal and spiritual health this morning. This one is free. Uh, If some Christian writer or radio host or TV evangelist prophesies the return of Christ with a specific date and details, don't believe them, don't send them money. In fact, close the book or turn it off. Our crucified and risen Lord of glory will appear again. He'll judge the living and the dead. Let's let the timing up to God and let's be ready. And we don't know when, but we know what to do until that day comes. Keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach. The return of Christ added urgency to Paul's charge to Timothy, and it adds urgency to our lives and it adds urgency to our church. Keeping the commandment unstained and free from reproach is doctrinal, behavioral, and it's doxological. Again, Paul broke out into doxology or glory speech. Verses 15 and 16, they're doxological. Paul expressed the the glorious transcendence of God who will display the Lord Jesus Christ at the perfect time. So, So understand what verses 15 and 16 are meant to do. They're they're meant to leave you wonderstruck by God, to lead you to doxology, to glory speech. So let me tell you about God. God is supremely blessed. Paul said, he who is the blessed and only sovereign. Blessedness is inherent to God's being. What does it mean for God to be blessed? Well, Jesus used the same word for blessed in his famous Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Where he he used phrases like blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven and so forth verse 15 in verse 15 blessed means God is totally and utterly happy and content and satisfied in himself in the perfection of his being God needs nothing outside of himself to bless him now think about this carefully. If God is perfectly blessed, happy, content, and satisfied with God, imagine what God can do to bless you with God. If God is satisfied with God, what were you made for? What, what will be the, the deepest satisfaction of your soul? He'll blow your mind. Let me summarize verses 11 through 16 this way. Your happiness in living out the Christian life and serving God is entirely dependent upon a happy God making you happy in his happy son. Next, God is the only sovereign. This is a big point, not only a big point here, a big point of Scripture. Paul said he who is the blessed and only sovereign only expresses exclusivity, exceptionality excellence god is not only the blessed sovereign but he is the only sovereign god is the only ruler or mighty potentate as a statement of god's supreme power and control and make no mistake here this was very risky for paul to write very risky uh considering nero was emperor caesar was considered sovereign rome was considered sovereign but with with unashamed doxology Paul claimed the exclusive uh, sovereign uh, sovereignty of God, the power of God. Caesar and every world leader exists beneath God's absolute sovereignty. Deuteronomy ten seventeen calls God the great, the mighty, and the awesome God. Psalm forty seven eight says God reigns over the nations. God sits on His holy throne. Psalm 99 verse 1 adds, the Lord reigns, let the people tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim, let the earth quake. God is the only sovereign who reigns. Now, much theology today uh, makes God look small and impotent and has placed man at the center of theology. But here, Paul rightly championed the greatness and centrality of God's absolute sovereignty. When you hear Christians say things like, God is sovereign, yes, but that doesn't mean he's in control. And when they publish books with titles like God is not in control, which contain forewords claiming that the idea of God being in control of everything originated from pagan philosophy You can stand on the rock of God's complete and utter sovereignty and say with conviction, no, God is sovereign. Therefore, he is undoubtedly in control. And that is good to me. And that gives me hope and confidence and and grace and joy in him. A professor at at Wake Forest University School of Divinity said this. I do not believe that God is in control of everything that happens in our world. Indeed, I would argue that God controls very, very little of what happens in our world. End of quote. it's, it's, It's baffling to me that people who invest their lives studying scripture and theology work so hard to undermine God and his word and what gives people So much joy and comfort and peace and hope and confidence in God. Do something else, PhDs, than tear down the authority of God's word. God's omnipotence and control and sovereignty are all inspiring. Are you wonderstruck by God? God's sovereignty cannot be limited in any way, including salvation. Because God is the only sovereign, our prayers are impactful, our suffering is meaningful, our salvation is irreversible, our evangelism is hopeful. God's sovereignty is not a trivial matter uh, debated in classrooms and lecture halls, but rather a deeply personal and comforting attribute of God that increases our devotion to him. Paul's next line, it only advances the idea of God's absolute sovereignty. God is The king of kings. Let that sit for a little bit. The king of kings. God is the preeminent king. Psalm 47 verse 7 says, For God is the king of all the earth. Psalm 95 verse 3 adds, For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. When Paul said God is king of kings, he, he was saying God is king of those who reign as kings. Take, take all of the kings who reign as kings and God reigns above those kings. Jesus taught us to pray, and this is important to know. He taught us to pray in very intimate language. Our father, our father, God is our father. And that's a very intimate prayer. And yet how cool is it that our father, our dad in heaven is king of kings. That is amazing. And we love him for this. Jesus said, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The king of kings is our father who is overjoyed to give us his kingdom. And our father, the king of kings, has determined that we will reign with Christ in his kingdom. God promises unfathomable blessings. For those who bow the knee to his son in complete and utter allegiance. Now, how many of you right now could take your cell phone and have a direct line to the president of the United States? Now, I doubt that any of us will actually ever meet the president of the United States. But, you know, if you actually had direct access to the president, I think we'd all be impressed by that. I think that would be impressive and we definitely would want to hear some stories there. Are you so wonderstruck by the king of kings that having direct access to him through Christ is all important to you? When I was a kid, I passed Charles Barkley at a a celebrity golf tournament. And I said to him as he drove past me on a golf, golf cart, hey, Charles. And he looked at me and he said, hey, man. And I thought that was awesome. I was like, this is great. That's Charles Barkley. I think I ran back and probably told the the people that I was with, and, and that was pretty awesome. Why are we so often underwhelmed by the King of Kings and his word to us? Is he not more awesome than basketball players, musicians, authors, celebrities? Is he not better? Uh, our greatest delight is living beneath the reign and rule of the king of kings in his glorious kingdom. Eternal life is eternal fellowship with the king of kings. Are you wonderstruck by the king of kings? It is knowing him the pride of your life. Saints, how should we respond to him? Well, Psalm 145 verses 1 through 3 capture it. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Excuse me. Paul goes on God is the Lord of lords, he is the Lord of those who rule as Lord. A kurios, or Lord, is a master or an owner of an estate that has complete control over the affairs of that estate. God owns and controls everything, everything. Take every master, every chief, every ruler, commander, bishop, captain, governor, noble, aristocrat, take them all, and God is Lord of them all. His supreme lordship is directly connected to his eternal love, Uh, For us and our gratitude in him. Listen to how this this works out in Psalm 136, verse 3. And it says this, give thanks to the Lord of lords. Now, why should we give thanks to him? For his steadfast love endures forever. The Lord of lords will love his people perfectly forever. That's wonder of wonders. Verse 15 is about God's absolute sovereignty the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Is the absolute sovereignty of God in all things precious to you? Is it a sanctuary for your soul? Uh, John MacArthur and I differ on significant points of theology, Uh, yet I've admired him for many years and I've learned a lot from him through the years. I even hugged him at a conference. Uh, MacArthur gets the sovereignty of God right. And and I want you to really think about uh, what MacArthur said about God's sovereignty. He said this. The sovereignty of God is the most encouraging and comforting doctrine in all of Scripture. And understanding of it removes the anxiety from life. It also gives the man of God courage in spiritual duty and willingness to face any danger God is never surprised, nor is his will ever frustrated. He says in Isaiah 46, verse 11, truly, I have spoken. Truly, I will bring it to pass. I have planned it. Surely, I will do it because he is in total control. There is no need to worry, to compromise, to equivocate or to manipulate to achieve a goal. End of quote. The sovereignty of God was Timothy's bedrock for gospel ministry. It it, it empowered him. He he needed God's sovereignty in order to face the false teachers in Ephesus. And he could face them with, with gospel poise because God is sovereign. God's sovereignty compelled Timothy to confront and contend, and yet at the same time to be comforted and consoled in his gospel work. What makes the imperatives flee, pursue, fight, grasp, and keep so urgent. Why mention it? The witness of the sovereign. What, what will help us be faithful to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until Christ appears? The grace of the sovereign. Paul had aggressive words for Timothy. It was a, a rigorous path. And so Timothy needed to be reminded of the glory of and sovereignty of God, which served as an anchor for his soul as he led the Ephesian church in upholding the truth of God, led them through conflict, which they had inside the church. And there's even more. God alone has immortality. This should thoroughly boggle your mind. God possesses immortality. Deathlessness is inherent to God's being. Unlike the Titanic and everything in your life, God cannot die or be destroyed. Now, immortality is fascinating. It's been the theme of many movies and many books. Beauty and health products seem to aim for immortality. Even science is preoccupied with immortality. Russian billionaire Dmitry Itskov has promised to bring us cybernetic immortality by the year 2045. He actually said back in the year 2015, within the next 30 years, I'm going to make sure that we can all live forever. I'm 100% confident it will happen. Otherwise, I wouldn't have started it. Wow. Woo! Dr. Aubrey de Grey, international adjunct professor of the uh, Moscow Institute of Physics and Technology, claims he has a roadmap to defeat biological aging and proposes that the first human beings to live for a thousand years have already been born and is optimistic that humans will scientifically decipher immortality. You can check out his TED Talk online. Immortality is desirable, and yet it is so often divorced from God who alone possesses immortality. Some may foolishly think that evolution will advance humanity into immortality. We just need to figure out the science, but that worldview overlooks three basic truths. God exists, God alone possesses immortality, and God has said, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Done. We can stop thinking about that. Just solved it. Not to be an alarmist, we are all going to die. And science is not the answer. John Calvin made a great point about verse 16. He said, accordingly, He now says that God alone is immortal in order to inform us that we and all the creatures do not, strictly speaking, live, but only borrow life from him. God gives life. God takes life. Our lives cannot be extended past the boundaries demarcated by the sovereign will of God. Science cannot override the sovereign decrees of God. Aren't we also immortal? Read your Bibles. Yes, but not in the way that God is. He has created us, immortal souls, and our immortality originates from God, who alone possesses immortality in and of himself. Unlike our immortality, God's immortality has no origin, beginning, or source And we would do well to understand that our immortal existence will be either eternal pain apart from Christ or eternal joy united to Christ. This concept of God's immortality is infinitely amazing. This boggles our mind. We can't conceive of such a thing. And yet we so often find ourselves bored with God. Bored with God. Many people prefer science fiction immortality to the actuality of God's immortality. God is not science fiction. God is real. Are you wonderstruck by God? Even more, God dwells in unapproachable light. We need light outside of ourselves to live, yet God dwells in the light of his glory. I understand the unapproachable light to be the light of God's glory. The Apostle John told us that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. The light of God's being is so pure, so glorious, so beautiful that mere mortals cannot approach him. Uh, When you you enter the bathroom in the morning, this truth is likely illustrated to you uh, in in a small way. Above our mirror we have in our bathroom four lights that are hanging there and they range from 750 to 1,050 lumens. And when I go from our dark bedroom into the bathroom and I hit that light switch, my eyes instinctively squint. And and it actually happened this morning. Four wimpy light bulbs. Come on. The instinct to shield our eyes from bright lights reminds us of our humanity, sinfulness, and the brightness of God's glory. God's glory is so bright that apart from Christ, we cannot approach God at all done. It would be the end of you. His resplendence is deadly for us. The beauty of the gospel is that God is graciously preparing us to see him in the fullness of his glory. He is purifying us in Christ so that we are ready to step into his eternal light, fleeing, pursuing, fighting, uh, grasping, and keeping. It's all necessary preparation for us. Does this move you uh, that, that there is something so incredible you can't see it right now? Well, this next point may seem for some people on par with uh, seeing a unicorn or Sasquatch or something. Uh, but in actuality, it's quite logical if you think about it, considering the invisibility, immensity and intensity of God. God has never been seen. Nor is anyone able to see him. Uh, John 1.18 confirms that no one has ever seen God. Moses only saw the back of his glory. God told Moses, man shall not see me and live. That's how intense God is. Do you know anything right now that if you saw it, you would die immediately? Well, God is like that. Now, some people are, I'll believe it when I see it, types of people. Um, In some ways, that can be good. Uh, as it pertains to God, not so good. They reject God in part because they cannot see him and they don't take Jesus' word for it, who has seen him. John Calvin answered this objection by saying it exceeds our capacity. Calvin said, for the reason why we do not see is that our sight is not so keen as to ascend to so great a height. Our eyes are keen to see many, many beautiful things on this earth and we enjoy those things But there is supreme beauty so enrapturing that we cannot see it and live. But we are being prepared by Jesus to one day see God in the radiance of his beauty. Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's a great phrase from our Lord. Jesus is the only human being who lived, With a pure heart. I guess he's the only one that's going to see God. He's the only human pure enough to see God. So if you want to see God, you must be in Christ. Who can handle it? You must be in Christ. Therefore, you need Christ's purity imputed to you by grace through faith. And you need him to purify your heart for the day of his return so that you will be ready to see God. You're not ready, but Christ is making you ready sanctification becoming more and more like Jesus being being purged of the sin that is so rampant in us and being purified to be ready to see God he's doing that your heart is not pure enough neither is mine in Christ you are positionally clean before God he counts you as entirely righteous entirely pure but you must be made entirely pure by Christ And God is working that grace in you so that one day you're ready to see God and live and be eternally wonderstruck by God. There is beauty hidden from me, yet beauty that Christ has redeemed me to see. Paul ends his doxology with these words. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. This, was, this is similar to his doxology back in chapter 1, verse 17. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. God deserves all honor. He deserves our reverence. He deserves our esteem. He deserves our admiration. He deserves our awe. God is so magnificent that if we are not wonderstruck by him, we dishonor him. The the way to honor God is to be wonderstruck by him, so much so that you live for him, by his grace and by his power. Also, God possesses eternal dominion. That is his eternal power, his might, his strength. Once again, Paul returned to the absolute sovereignty of God. God possesses the power and right in and of himself to govern and control everything. Everything. Dominion is exclusively his. Why? Revelation 4 11 says, Worthy are you our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. You exist because God wills you to exist. The only reason. Has nothing to do with you. He wants you to exist. So you do. He created you to exist, and this qualifies him to receive all glory, all honor, all power, and all dominion. In in light of all the issues Paul had addressed in 1 Timothy, from false teachers to elders to widows to, to godliness with contentment, the blessed and only sovereign is behind it all. Strengthening Paul, strengthening Timothy, strengthening the church to flee, pursue fight, grasp, and keep. And next week, God's identity will play out even more in Paul's ending instructions. There's there's one more tiny but very significant word to see, amen. Amen is not an irrelevant word tacked on to the end of a prayer so everybody knows when the prayer is done. That's not it. Amen means it is certain. It is true. It is absolutely true. It it punctuates Paul's doxology to emphasize the certainty of what Paul wrote. Here's the point. This is all gloriously true and meant to leave you wonderstruck by God. Wonderstruck by God. God is truly blessed. He he truly is the only sovereign king of kings, the Lord of lords, he truly and exclusively possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light. And it is true that no one has ever seen him or can see him. It is true that God to God belongs honor and eternal dominion. It's all true. It's all certain. God authorized Paul to write this about him. This is from God telling you, revealing to you himself. It's all entirely true, and it's all entirely mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. Are you wide awake to the glory of God? Does he take your breath away? Are you wonderstruck by God? I hope you are. I hope you are. May God excite that wonder in you through his word. This is why we need the word so much. People of God, you need God's word preached, taught. You need to receive it by faith because it is through that that God reveals himself to you and he leads you to be wonderstruck by him. We are, are, as C.S. Lewis says, far too easily pleased. So we need his word. We need him to to condescend. How do we know then? I I, want to ask, if God is so glorious, how do we know this God? How do we get into his presence enough to be wonderstruck by him? Well, the answer is only through Christ, only through Christ. If, if if you want to make absolutely sure that you will see this glorious and happy God to ensure that you will delight in his splendor forever, you must turn from your sin and trust Jesus alone to lead you to the God who will blow your mind forever. You just... You ju- Without Jesus, you won't get any of this. God will remain boring. But with Jesus, as you are in Christ, as you trust him by faith, as you walk by faith and not by the flesh, and that you don't gratify the desires of the flesh, he's going to pour into you his truth through his word, and he is going to awaken a wonder that may surprise you. You need Christ. Turn to Christ. Value Christ. Trust Christ. It's all about Christ who takes us to God. You know, I think we can focus on Jesus so much that we forget where Jesus is taking us to. He's taking us to God. And he is that exact imprint. He is God and he takes us to God. Trust Jesus when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the he is the only way he is your thoroughfare, your only thoroughfare to God, a glorious God. Trust Christ to lead you to the blessed and only sovereign. And when that blessed sovereign and king of kings and Lord of lords welcomes you and receives you into his glorious presence, you will be wonderstruck by him forever. I promise you two things. Number one, God will not disappoint you. And number two, you will be entirely wonderstruck by him forever. Thank you, God, for Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we have your precious Son Jesus Christ who leads us in a grand procession into your marvelous and wonderful and awe inspiring presence. God, we are undervalued or we are underwhelmed by you. So much, God, we see so dimly, we see so little, we doubt and we fight and bicker and we get distracted and we love the pleasures of this world. And we need so much help for you uh, from you uh, by your spirit, by your truth, your word working in us that we can be wide awake, lucid, clear seeing you reveal yourself to us in your word, in your son. God, we so desperately need Christ to awaken in us wonder at your magnificent being. We love you, Father. We love you, Son. We love you, Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would fall on your people to awaken in them great wonder by the hearing of your word, God, that you would do something special at Jerusalem Church to to lead us to be wonderstruck by you. We need you, God. Would you please uh, graciously do this for us who are longing to see beautiful things and and don't want to be um, distracted by the the things of this world? So, God, be gracious, be kind to us as a loving Father, and impress us with your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.